Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with us to Proverbs chapter 28, and we're going to be in verses 13 and 14 this morning. Um, Just wanted to thank you for your prayers as I was in a uh, PhD seminar at Liberty all this past week on the subject of miracles. And just for uh, those of you who are inclined to want to do some more study on this, uh, based upon we w- based upon what we know now um, from science and from the area of analytic philosophy, um, the argument that miracles are impossible has been destroyed. And what that means is that the old preachers were right. Absolutely blown away this past week with stuff that I was not aware of. Uh, as some of you that are interested in that type of study uh, have probably heard the argument of David Hume that miracles are impossible because they would violate and, and, and destroy the laws of nature. So therefore, um, it is not the case that the, the miracles can even be possible. That argument has been entirely, entirely dismantled. I mean, it has been... It has been owned, it has been destroyed, and there is even a book from Baker Academic Press um, with hundreds upon hundreds of footnotes in two volumes over 1,100 pages of documented, not from a crusade, not from a church service, but from things such as professional medical personnel, not even overseas necessarily. There's tons of that, but here in the good old U.S. of A. in Western Europe, God is still doing things that can only be described in terms of a miracle. Not just the providence of God providing the check that needs to be paid at the end of the month, providing the medicine that helps the person recover, but something that can only be explained as a miracle. Y'all, I'll tell you, this past week encouraged my heart that not only do we get saved through God's Word, by the Holy Spirit showing us internally that He is real, But it's amazing how science and philosophy, when it is allowed to do what it was intended to do, has done nothing but support, unless you bring assumptions to the table, support what the Bible says is true. Amen? It's some awesome stuff. If you want, if some of you are super nerds and you want some reading, I have a stack of books in my house that I have to read that's about this high. So I am all about having fellow sufferers in the pain. So I can recommend some of those uh, to you. But before we move on, I just want to uh, recognize and embarrass Lindsay Narmore. She uh, published a book. And uh, it's not often that college students even get their papers turned in on time, much less publish a book. It's a science book. It deals with quantum mechanics and a lot of other really cool stuff. So if you would like a copy of that, just get with Lindsay. Um, great example of scholarship from within the church. Amen? And uh, that's good stuff. It's going to be an educational book. So uh, check um, with Lindsay if you'd like to, to pursue that. But we are in our third part of our series uh, called Slow Fade, dealing with the issue of the heart and our relationship with Jesus Christ, or even our propensity to want to have anything to do with the Gospel slowly fading away. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs chapter 28, and we'll begin there in verses 13 and go to verse 14 as well. The Bible says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain... Help me out, church. Mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever, and notice this, whoever hardens his heart 
will fall into calamity. Calamity is another word for destruction. For something that you never, ever want to experience. So today, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the hard heart. And I just want to warn you right out of the gate, some of this is difficult, text-driven stuff. Um, We have an outline there in your bulletin. We're going to walk through a lot of verses. Normally, we just stick with one. But in order to do a good treatment of what the Bible says about a hard heart, we're going to have to do it. So here's the main idea. Here's what what we're going for, what we believe the Bible says. We're going to try to establish that. It is that receiving and obeying God's Word softens the heart, whereas rejecting and disobeying God's Word will harden the heart. You say, now Jeff... What do we mean when we say a hard heart? What we mean is that a hard heart, and this is in your notes, it will cause someone to be completely unwilling to learn and to accept new information, to cause to be completely unwilling to learn and to cause, check this, to cause the mind to be closed. The hard heart is the place to where... Well, let me illustrate it to you like this. Um, I have, I enjoy the shooting sports, and um, and I, I didn't take the advice of the vice president who told me to go out and buy a shotgun and fire both barrels out the window if someone ever came to the house. I think that's a little bit um, bizarre, but uh, I do enjoy the shooting sports. And uh, I've got these gun muffs right here, and we have right here, um, can you see that all the way in the back? It's kind of like all the way in the back. Little earplugs that they're very helpful if you're on a flight and you want to cut out the noise or if you're studying, you want to cut out the noise or, or guys, if you're, you're going to get in more trouble if you do it. If you, if there's too many honeydews and you just plug those in and say, honey, I didn't hear you, but then you forget that you have them in and she sees that you put them in, you're going to be in a world of hurt. All right. If you put them in, it's not so much uh, that you don't want to hear something, it's that you can't hear. Now imagine if you put these in, and then you've got your regular high quality, this is actually a present from Barry and Helene, appreciate this, your high quality gun earmuffs on, buddy, you are going to be peace in the valley. It is you and you alone. But here's what I think is interesting when we think about hearing being diminished and the ability to actually ascertain what is being told us. The hard heart in the Bible, it is a state that a person reaches, or we could say descends to, to where it's that they can't hear God's voice anymore. We're going to look at some verses that would probably be within the top ten verses that's never preached in Southern Baptist churches. Verses that often when we read them, we fold our arms and cock our head and curl our lip to say, I don't know about if I agree with that. But here's what we do at this church. This is from our leadership. We love people. Amen? And because we love people, we've got to get to the difficult stuff. Even if it's hard to deal with. So the hard heart is some something that happens when we resist God's voice to the point that we can no longer hear it. There's a statement that's not in your notes, but if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write it down. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. Whatever you harden in resistance to God, God will eventually break. And whatever you submit to God in brokenness, He will heal. 
Let me say that again. Whatever you harden in resistance to God, God will eventually break. But what you submit to God in brokenness, God will heal. When you look at the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, do you notice how often for the hard-hearted ones, His job, He just let them have it, didn't He? I mean, Jesus pulled no punches. Jesus let it rip. But when Jesus came into contact with a person that had been broken and humbled by their sin, like the woman caught in adultery, says, woman, where are your accusers? Rise and sin no more. Don't we serve an awesome God that if we think that we're so awesome that we don't need Him, He say, okay, I'll take you behind the woodshed and I will humble you so that you see that you need Me. And if we are already humbled, He will come and say, I'm here to fix you up. That, my friends, I don't know about you, but that is good news. See, Holmes, the comic sounds like God's a roughneck. He's going around... Who's bad? I'll break you like some type of of cosmic bully. Here's the thing. If we're never broken over our sin, we'll never repent. And if we can never repent, we can never be saved. And if we're never saved, we can never get out of hell and go to heaven. So the fact that God would break people is an evidence of His mercy, not of His wrath. Wrath is always a last-ditch option. Pastor Greg Laurie in California said this, the best inoculation against the gospel is the gospel heard but not heeded. Hence our message last week. Some of us, we come to church all the time. We could spout off scripture verses. We hear the Bible. But the Holy Spirit of God throughout the pages of His Word is saying, are you willing to obey me? You see, I think that Satan in our culture, when we talk about this hard-hearted thing, he wants us, our inclinations and our emotions to be tied with so many different things as long as it's not Jesus. We've talked about our various passions and hobbies before. Some of you enjoy motorcycles. Some of you enjoy uh, shopping. Some of you enjoy hanging out with your friends. Some of you students, you like the texting, right? I mean, I think you could be able, if you if you ever needed someone to control a drone, just make it in the form of a cell phone and you could give two to a seventh grade girl and she'd be able to operate both with absolute efficiency, right? We all have different things that we enjoy doing and sometimes we can get so excited We're not even going to the sports teams, alright? Y'all okay? Not even going to go to pro sports, not even going to go to college sports, but we get so excited. But here's the thing, is my heart softened towards God? That's the message, and that's what we have to break down today. So here's the question. You say, Jeff, what causes a hard heart? Or there are three things that we've been able to identify from the Bible, and we will break these down. Number one, in the Bible, hardness of heart is caused by first repeated sinning against one's conscience. In other words, I am going to continue to do what I know is wrong, even though I know it's wrong. And then once God shows me it's wrong, I'll say, forget you, I'm doing it anyway, time and time again. And the heart grows hard over time. Secondly, a continued rejection of God's Word. For example, some of you may come here on a regular basis. You are not saved. You have been in church, but you know there is no peace with God. Every week when the invitation is given, and God comes and speaks to your heart and says, why don't you come to me and get saved? You say, no. Or, what Satan loves for people to say is, I'll do it. Help me out. 
Tomorrow, next week, next month, when I get my stuff together, then I'll be good. Where Jesus says, come to me and I will heal you. Doesn't make very much sense for a mangled, broken, bloody person to say, no, 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 hand me the first aid kit. It's like, bro, you've got to go to the hospital. No, no, hand me a band-aid, I got this. You say, he's been on something. In the same way, we say, God, I know I need to give my life to you. But let me fix this first. Doesn't work that way. Bring it all. Let him take over. Isn't God good? Grace of God. Number three, the cause of a hard heart is the gods. And here's, here's where there will be some, some difficulty for some of us to actually ingest this. There are many verses in the Bible that say that the hardness of heart is God's responsive judgment to give people what they really want. So the causes of a hard heart, let's go through this. Number one, repeated sinning against your own conscience. There are verses in the Bible that tell us that a hard heart can come from denying justice, continued crookedness, and an unwillingness to give mercy. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 65. The Bible says, as is speaking of God against the enemies of Israel, you will give them dullness of heart, your curse will be on them. Now, here's something that I want to be very clear when I address this so that we are not uh, being misunderstood. This is in your outline, Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. The Pharisees asked Jesus, and they said, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answers in verse 4. He says, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what Jesus is saying is before we can ever address the difficult and painful subject of divorce, we have to understand what marriage actually is. In verse 6, he says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 7, Then they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. You see, Jesus cares about the family. This is something that often in churches we never, ever, ever address. And the statistics say that over half of our population has been divorced. Let me say a couple of words about this and then we're going to move on. The biblical picture is one man, one woman for life. But what some of you have experienced and seen in your families or personally is that sin can enter in. You marry someone, you say, I thought that they were this way, but then they ended up running out on me. They ended up cheating on me. They ended up having this happen. There are some of you that you got divorced back before you knew Jesus. Listen, there is always cleansing in the name of Jesus Christ and through the gospel. I want every single person here to understand there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. I would say there may be a little asterisk there that the only people that God probably will not and cannot use are the ones who come to the table and say, you know what, I'm good, I don't need God, I'm better than, and we have to be very, very careful. I want to say this in the church, that if you have never experienced divorce in your family, 
you need to be very, 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 very careful that you do not turn into the Pharisee who came to church, who looked at the other person who had a past and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. If you have not experienced divorce in your family, it should cause you to fall down on your knees and say, God, thank you. Amen? And if you have been through divorce and your family, and you're here today, you're saved, that was in the past, you should say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for promising to never leave me. Y'all tracking with me? To never leave me. To never cheat on me. To never forsake me. To never go nuts on me. Thank you, Jesus, for being my rock. But Jesus said the reason why the exception was given for the any reason. In other words, that, that was given to say, look, you can't get divorced just because you don't like the way they cook. No joke. That was a discussion in the first century. That's why they asked him. Because there was a certain school of thought within Judaism that said a man could divorce his wife for any reason. She burns the toast. Hit the road, jacket. Hey, and, and we're, we're, some of you guys are like, dude, Jeff, man, if I, if I even thought that, she would hit me so hard and so fast, my granddaddy would feel it, and he's passed for years. I mean, in our culture, like, you don't understand, man, when, so, when something goes down, I send my wife, right? Like, like, she's the grim reaper. And so, we have a different context, but ladies, imagine this. If you're in that culture, and you were divorced... And I'm not going to go into detail here. There were not too many godly options for what you could do with your life. Marriage or the red light district or something else. The exception clause, except for in the cases of sexual immorality, that was put in there to protect the women against a jerk of a guy who would just kick her out for any reason. But here's something I would put whether you have been divorced or whether you have not considered it. The Old Testament picture is the book of Hosea. Hosea is this prophet of God. God comes to him and he says, Hosea, I want you to go out and marry a prostitute. He says, come again. I want you to go out and find a prostitute. Her name, y'all check this out, girls. Your name is Gomer. That's rough enough. I'm Jeff. And this is Gomer. And they're like, no, seriously. No, seriously it is. And then they feel awkward and they leave. Her name was Gomer and she was a woman of ill repute. And he's like, God, are you serious? And God said, I'm serious. Go marry her. Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see what was going to happen. He marries this, this prostitute and she goes back to her old ways. So guys, you come home. You're Hosea. You've been out preaching. And you, you see, nobody's here. The, the, you know, what's going on? And then you go down to that sordid disgusting area of town. And guess who's walking the streets? Old Gome. So you say, honey, this is not okay. Let's come home. He goes back and he finds her time and time again. Check this out, ladies. It got to the point to where she was had, had, had gone so far that she was being sold by someone else. And here he comes and he, he takes her back once again. Paige Patterson, he said, when he looked down, that was not the face of Gomer. It was the face of you and me. 
And when she looked up, that was not the face of the prophet Hosea. That was the face of Jesus. So regardless of your baggage, or for some of you students, you say, I would love to get married someday, but you know, it just, you know, I, that's a goal of mine. The picture in the Old Testament is one of absolute faithfulness. Through the fire, through all of it, he pursues. But Jesus said it was because of their hardness of heart to want to get out when the going gets tough. Refusing to give mercy to his spouse. Number three. Pursuing, we're just going to say it like it is, pursuing sex. This, this almost sounds so cliche. It sounds like an 80s youth message, but this is the only way I know how to say it. Pursuing sex, money, and the party lifestyle. Let me just say a word here. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've been through student ministries, it, it, it's all about stay pure before you may, you know, until you get married. Don't talk to a girl. They have cooties. But then when you get to be college, they say, well, we want you to marry a godly young woman and a godly young man. We're like, well, wait, I thought you told me I'm not supposed to talk to them. Work that out in your theology, all right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. I would mark this in your Bibles. Notice the process here. Speaking of the lost people, they are darkened in their understanding alienated or separated, cut off from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Here it is. Due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality or a sex-driven lifestyle, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, this is good stuff though. But that is not the way you learn Christ. You see... If we sin against our own conscience, and I just want to, want to say this, I had not planned to say this, but if there are some of you and you have met someone that is not your spouse, you are married, and they have fulfilled some emotional need, you think that they listen to you better, uh, you think that they would be a better spouse. Listen, a person who would try to get you to be unfaithful with the person that you're currently married to does not care about you. The Lord could come later, Change their heart, but please, I beg you, don't take the bait. You know why? Because we love kids. And stuff like that destroys families, resist it, and God will give you the power to do what you need to do. Now here's where it gets difficult. Some of you say, now Jeff, I've read in my Bible that the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Is it true that God actually hardens people's hearts? When we put down every verse there um, that has to do with this subject, I'm going to run through it, but there are a couple of, uh, of, of set-up verses that I want you to notice. Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. And here's the background. The Israelites are in ethnic total slavery to the Egyptians. Here's what Pharaoh said in Exodus 1, 11. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Verse 14, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service. They made them work ruthlessly. They made them work as slaves. Here's the thing. Pharaoh's idea, this is an interesting insight into the Bible, said, we're going to afflict them with hard, cruel, just-to-be-mean labor. And God later says, okay, 
You want to be hard and cruel to people? Let's see how that works on you. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. And I'm not going to list all of the reference to this. I'm just going to walk through it. Um, you don't have to turn there in your Bibles if you don't want to. But it says in Exodus 4.21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see what you do before Pharaoh. All the miracles I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 7.3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will, though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. 7.13, Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 7.22, But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. 8.15, But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, and this is when God kind of pulled back on those plagues, if you've ever seen the Charlton Heston movie, you know, and you've got the green fog floating through, and that, that's, that's the reference point here. The Bible says in 8.15 that Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen to the Lord. 8.32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. So here we've got God doing it and Pharaoh doing it. Uh, 9.12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Uh, 9.34-35, but When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Verse 35, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go. 10.1, go into Pharaoh, this is God to Moses, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. 10.20, 10.20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. 10.27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. 11, uh, 10 and 9. The Bible says in verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And verse um, 4 in chapter 14, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 14.8, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. This is, this is a little repetitive, isn't it? You guys are like, how am I? When's it, when's it going to stop? Verse 17 and verse four, in chapter 14. God says, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall go in after them. Talking about following into the Red Sea. And I will get glory. Here, here's the reason. Over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. You see, now Jeff, time out. Are you saying that the Bible teaches that God actually hardens hearts? Number one, I would say... Many of us, and this is in your notes, often we have this wrong, twisted picture that God would come in and find an innocent person and harden their heart so that they go to hell. You know what? That would be pretty messed up. But then again, it's God's universe. But I want you to think with me. This is where the difficult part comes in. We know that sin hardens the heart, right? None of us are without sin. However, you will not find an instance in the Bible to where God hardens a person's heart where that person had not already continuously, day after day, week after week, rejected God. Let me say that one more time. We know that sin hardens the heart. We know that all of us are sinners, but you do not find an example in the Bible. Romans 9 says God will harden who He will harden, but what does the Bible say about the ones who were hardened? 
They were people who had resisted and rejected and rebelled and disobeyed time and time and time and time again. You see, now hold on, Jeff, but the first reference there, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What kind of a heart would it be to keep an entire ethnic group in slavery, working them to death, doing all sorts of horrific things? Think about the state of the heart that would say, okay, the ethnic group of the Hebrews, every time a baby boy is born to you, we will take that precious child and we will take it to the Nile River where there are crocodiles and we will toss the child into the river to drown or to be eaten by crocodiles. We presume that Pharaoh's heart was innocent to begin with. And I would say the Bible teaches that it was already hard. So Jeff, how can I understand that? Understand it this way. When a person rejects God and rejects God and rejects God and rejects God, God basically is saying through the Scripture, you don't want me in your life? You want me to shut up? You want me to leave you alone? Fine. Here's the heart that you want. One that is absolutely built walls to where you cannot hear my voice. The Bible says and also in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, for us not to harden our hearts against the poor. Third, the continued rejection of God's Word, refusing to act on faith, is a way that the heart is hardened. And you have the verses there, especially in the Old Testament, when God comes time and time again to the Israelites and says, trust me, believe me, follow me. They say, no, no, no. And some of us, I don't know if you ever said this before, we watch that Charlton Heston movie and we say, man, if I had been there and I had seen all of those amazing miracles that God had done, how could I have ever gone back to not believing God in the first place? Can we just have a moment of honesty in Rocky Mountain Baptist Church? If you had been there, being chased like a dog through the wilderness, you had barely gotten across the Red Sea, and you have the Egyptians coming behind you to slaughter you like cattle, and then you turn back, and Moses, his arms are raised, and the waters crash together, and the army of your pursuers and the ones who hate you is destroyed, you know some of you would be like, get some, sucker! That's right! Don't mess with my God! He said He'll protect me! Now you are swimming with the fleece. What is it? Sleeping with the fishes. But then, we say, now hold on, God did all that, and yet, like, I turned my page in my Bible, and then you guys like turn around, and you're like, oh God, you hate us. Moses, you're a terrible leader. We're going to die in the wilderness. Like, he just saved you from the most powerful army on earth. But then there's some of us to where God gives us grace time and time again. And sometimes we can come to church, we can get up on a Monday morning. Can I get a witness on a Monday morning? Did you hear on a Monday morning? And when you can think, oh God, are you even there? And we do the same exact thing. You say, Jeff, what else causes a a, a hard heart? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Pride over achievement. Think about Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the world during his time, there in the massive, massive palace of Babylon. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Listen, everything that you've ever done that's been great, it's because of God. Amen? 
It's because of God. And then finally, you say, Jeff, what is the final cause of a hard heart? It is God's responsive judgment. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30, it tells about a king named Sihon, who is a very cruel, a very depraved man there in Canaan. And the Bible says, but Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. This is the Israelites. For the Lord, your God, hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that He might give him into your hand as He is this day. Joshua chapter 11, verse 20. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy, but should be destroyed. You see, here's the point. That when God comes to us multiple times and says, I want you to believe me, I want you to repent, I want you to trust me, but we reject that, there's going to be a hardness that develops on our heart. It's going to be, let's go back to our illustrations here. At first, it's the little things that stick in your ear, little earplugs, and then we resist God further, then the muffs come on, and then finally it's the time to where God has given us what we truly want. First that we read at the beginning of this service, Verse 13 of Proverbs 28, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses. Guys, that means to be totally honest with it. No excuses. Confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. But, verse 14, this is so good. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Heard a story about uh, a man who was an alcoholic and he would just uh, get drunk and he was in very bad straits. One night he came home stumbling into his house and, and he was the only one there except for his dog. And he falls over the couch in a drunken stupor. And about 3 a.m. the dog begins to go nuts. Some of you have experienced that, haven't you? Well, may, hopefully not the drunkenness part of it. If you are here and you have an issue with that, Jesus can save you. Amen? But the dog starts to go crazy. The dog's like, shut up! Shut up, dog! You know. And finally, he reaches over in the dark and he finds a chair and he slings the chair in the direction of the dog and there's a crash and the barking stopped. When the man got up in the morning, he realized that he had been robbed blind. There was a broken chair and a dead dog that was all that was left of his already humble, modest, poor home. The message of God's Word about your heart is don't throw the chair at the dog. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And when God hits you with something that you need to repent of, give it to Him. Don't come and say, God, but I, but I, but I. No, repent, confess it, and let your heart be made whole again. Let the hardness be stripped away. If you're here today and you've never been saved, we're going to give you a chance just in a few moments to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I beg you, don't throw the chair at the dog. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, or if you have been in church, but there is no peace, there is no joy, there is no, there is no fruit of the Spirit within your heart, if you do not know where you would go if you died right now, if that's still a gigantic Question mark. In this moment right now, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just do business with God right now. Say, God, I need you in my life. 
I'm giving it to you. Please save me, God. Giving my life to you. Please save me. And for some of our believers, you have pursued the Lord. He has done amazing things in your life. But you can look back years ago when you used to be on fire for Jesus. Toward just the basic gospel message would get you excited. But there's been something happened. There's been a slow fade in your heart to where today you say, Jeff, it's just not the way that it used to be. And the way that it used to be was the way that it should be. And I want to get back where I should be with Jesus. We're going to open up this area here at the front. We call it the altar. The altar is an area of sacrifice. It's an area of devotion and giving. We're going to open that up. If you also have people that you know that need to be saved, that need Jesus, we ask you to come pray for them. Come pray for yourselves. Some of you say, God, I desperately want to be used by you, but I'm not sure exactly what. Come and just say, God, I'm bowing the knee in humility and asking you to show me and guide me. And if you have given your life to Jesus today, or if your desire is to be saved and to give it all to God, I'm going to be standing right here in the center aisle. I ask you to come and I'm just going to pray for you and ask that God would do a work in your life. Whatever you need to do here to join this church, to be baptized, to just come to the front to pray for someone, we ask you to come. Father, this is your invitation. It is your time. It is your word. Would you do your will? In Jesus' name, amen.